Support for MindShift comes from Landmark College. Its annual Summer Institute for Educators takes place June 25th through 27th. Registration is now open at landmark.edu slash LCSI. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Welcome to MindShift, where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I'm Nima Gobier. Every day when kids get ready in the morning, they are faced with a challenge. Deciding what to wear to school that day. They have to weigh a lot of factors, like what makes me feel comfortable? What's the weather like outside? And maybe even what will my crush in third period think about my fit? In seventh grade, when Zaya Kinney was in her favorite outfit, you couldn't tell her nothing. I wore my red skirt with a spaghetti strap kind of tank top, and I had no leggings on. I was feeling myself. Zaya's 23 now. She was talking about when she was a student at Alice Steele Middle School in Washington, D.C. It was 10 years ago, but she remembers how putting on the perfect outfit could make her feel good about herself. I would just put on whatever was comfortable, whatever was like kind of cute, and I would have my little pop-out moments here and there. One of the reasons Zaya remembers the outfit she wore is because it was the day she got dress coded. That means she was in violation of the school's rules that dictate what students should and should not wear. There's usually language about visible skin, footwear, and even hair in some cases. Most schools have them, but they can be flawed. The big irony, of course, that lies at the heart of school dress codes is that they are drafted with the intention of eliminating distraction and helping learners, but the opposite actually happens in the end because learners themselves are targeted and therefore they are unable to focus on learning. That's writer and researcher Leora Tannenbaum. She also calls out dress code incidents on her Instagram. Where they go wrong is when they are gendered, when the codes are created with a presupposition that girls' bodies pose a distraction to other learners, and therefore girls' bodies need to be covered up in a specific way, and therefore the dress code is drafted in a way that has different language and different rules depending on one's gender. If you violate the dress code, a teacher might call you over to talk with you privately about your clothes, or you'll be sent to the principal's office. You might have to do the fingertip test where you put your hands by your sides to see if your skirt or shorts go past your fingertips. It embarrasses the student. It makes her all of a sudden very aware of her physicality in a way that she may not have been at all. The teacher might assume she was aware of her physicality, but you can't assume that. Zaya was in class when she got dress coded. 
my teacher gave us some work to do, like just busy work or whatever. And she's like, Zaya, can I talk to you, you know, outside the classroom? I'm not even thinking it has something to do with my outfit. And she said, your skirt is too short. When Zaya put her hands at her sides, her middle fingertips were just barely past her skirt. And do you know that made me change into my gym shorts? I'm walking around here, cute up top, gym down below. Like I'm not looking the same. <laughs> and I remember being so upset about it because it's like, why are you sexualizing a seventh grader? To her, it was so much more than just having to change clothes. She was trying to fit in and be confident, and her school basically told her she was doing it wrong. I can't lie and tell you that the popular girls weren't wearing the skirts and had all the new things. They had the accessories. They had like three different book bags and rotations when I had just the one backpack. And I definitely remember seeing the difference in attention that they would get from guys and stuff like that. And then even their girlfriends, like I felt like they were always the ones that get chose for stuff or, you know, they were like the most likable people and everything. And while I was, I was okay with myself, but I was also really insecure too. Zaya, who's Black, also noticed something else about the dress codes. It wasn't until I started wearing skirts and dresses and I noticed how my white friends wouldn't have anything said to them about what they have on. And I realized, okay, if I wear a skirt and she wears a skirt, we have on two different skirts. And Zaya was on to something. Here is researcher and writer Nia Evans. I'm basically a Black girl who grew up in D.C. And when I was working at the National Women's Law Center, we were doing a lot of research about what we call school push-out. School push-out is basically when schools use disciplinary actions that exclude students. These discipline practices often end up forcing students out of school altogether. What we found was that dress codes were consistently coming up as a massive contributor to school push-out. Black girls in particular were being unfairly targeted by school dress codes, but not only were they being treated differently in school, they were being removed from school. At the time she was doing this research, around 2018, Black girls had some of the highest suspension rates in the country. So high that the Obama administration opened investigations into school discipline policies. Back then, Black girls were 20 times more likely to be suspended than white girls. And to be clear, it was not because Black girls were misbehaving more. It's because they were being targeted by harsher rules. We decided to partner with the experts when it comes to dress codes, which is students. We recruited over 20 young people, ages 12 to 18, from 12 different high schools in Washington, D.C., to be our co-researchers. Nia worked with them to produce a report about their experiences with dress codes and how they're enforced. What they found confirmed Zaya's suspicions. For Black students, dress codes hit different. Dress codes often are steeped in race and gender stereotypes. They were using language saying, you know, girls need to cover up to avoid from distracting boys, or Black girls can't wear head wraps because it's unprofessional or it's not neat. At a high level, a lot of these rules are sort of 
remnants of racist, sexist ideas and are a mechanism to sort of keep students in line and to communicate a certain narrative around what it means to be professional, what it means to be neat, what it means to be successful. Many schools will defend their dress codes, saying that they want their students to be prepared to dress for jobs as an adult. But that's open to interpretation. Different jobs require different clothes. Zaya, the 23-year-old we spoke to earlier, dresses pretty casually for her job at ABC Studios because she's running around delivering scripts to producers all day. When dress codes come into question, sometimes the response is to put kids in uniforms. Almost half of schools and preschools use uniforms now. It makes sense. If everyone has to wear the same thing, that means no more problems, right? Well, not necessarily. Here's Nia again. From a growth standpoint, you're taking an opportunity away from students to be able to express themselves. Uniforms are often gender specific, which means, again, we are enforcing what we think girls should look like, boys should look like. We're not creating a lot of space for any in-between, any type of spectrum. The students that Nia worked with offered a few solutions. A lot of them recommended that schools create dress code task forces where teachers and administrators and parents and students can come together and really start with the question of what is the goal of this? Why do we have a dress code? What is the point? Is it achieving its goals? And if it's not, do we need it? So it really ignited, I think, a long overdue issue in D.C. And we saw a lot of student and parent activism as a result of it. And some teachers and administrators listened. News of this report reached the principal at Zaya's former school, Alice Steele Middle School. And when we get back from the break, we'll hear about what the principal did when she took a closer look at her school's dress code. Her reaction may surprise you. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. All over the country... We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening... Because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. When I talked to Principal Deidre Neal from Alice Steele Middle School, she said that moments ago there were three young women in her office. One was wearing ripped jeans, another was wearing a tube top, and another was wearing a spaghetti-strap tank top. Ordinarily, they all would have gotten dress-coded. But something amazing happened. Principal Neal did not care. And that's significant because dress codes used to be a situation. Every spring, when children wanted to shift from, you know, long pants to shorts and skirts, there would be either commentary or, and I'm smiling because there was always a petition. There was always a petition. 
And I remember saying, I can't wait until we solve this issue and then you can move on and give me a petition for something else. After reading the dress code report, Principal Neal recognized that it was probably time for dress codes to change. Over time, like enforcing it, I would say there was cognitive dissonance. People were being sent out of class to address what they had on. So they were in class, they had their work, they were engaging, they were learning. And so we took them away from their their learning to have a conversation about what they were wearing. She needed to figure out what it would take to make Alice Steele Middle School's dress code work in favor of learning. To get started, Principal Neal partnered with a parent named Deb Zerwitz. We announced that we were going to be creating like a task force to review and update the dress code. They created a little setup outside of the school cafeteria. We put up big poster boards with questions like, what changes would you make to the dress code? What do you think about school uniforms? And what should the consequences be for violating a dress code? They had post-it notes in all of these different colors so students could stick their ideas to the poster board. And they had four listening sessions where they would get feedback and input from students, administrators, and parents. They had conversations with parents who wanted to keep the dress code for really valid reasons. For example, a lot of schools don't let their kids wear hoodies. Black parents didn't want their kids wearing hooded sweatshirts out the door because of Trayvon Martin. Trayvon Martin was wearing a gray hoodie the night he was killed, a fact that caught the attention of Neighborhood Watch volunteer George Zimmerman. This guy looks like he's up to no good or he's on drugs or something. Did you see what he was wearing? Yeah, a dark hoodie, like a gray hoodie. A few minutes later, Zimmerman shot Trayvon Martin, he claims, in self-defense. One black parent in one of the listening sessions said she liked having the support of the school dress code to keep her child from wearing hoodies. She said, I can point to the policy and say you're going to get in trouble and you're going to have to change your clothes and it's going to be embarrassing that that helps me at home if there's a policy. Who the hell am I to like dismiss this mother telling me like I like the dress code and this is one of the reasons why. Like, of course, I hear you. You know, I do. Another thing that surfaced in the listening sessions were some generational differences. In many cases, it's older Black adults telling younger Black kids that they need to look more presentable. In other words, they leaned into respectability politics, a way of trying to navigate prejudice and discrimination by making oneself match the visual standards set by those in power. It's basically saying, hey, We're just like you, so you should respect us and treat us better. Nia, she's the researcher who made the dress code report with students, noticed respectability politics in dress codes too. You also have a deeper layer of Black teachers and young people and parents who love each other who are really struggling with how to keep kids safe. And the same way the solution to sexual harassment isn't to get girls to cover up, the solution to police violence and racist violence is not to punish Black boys for wearing hoodies. I don't think you can dress your way out of racism and sexism. I don't. And I also think that sometimes in wanting to protect our young people, we end up reinforcing the very inequalities that the world puts on them. 
Dress codes actually hold a lot of our values and fears and anxieties as a culture. It says a lot about how we want students and young people to move through the world, how we want to protect them, how we want to set them up for success, and our baggage as a culture around race and gender and sexuality and different identities. Based on what she learned from all the feedback, Principal Neal, with the help of Deb and the National Women's Law Center, ended up changing their dress code to be more casual and gender nonspecific. Technically, students are required to wear clothing that covers the core of the student's body, private areas, and midriff with opaque fabric. But no one really says anything about crop tops. Even if a student is in violation of the dress code, they are not supposed to be taken out of class. When the dress code changed, students had an enthusiastic response. All of the clothing they couldn't wear before was on display. Here's Principal Neal again. It was just on parade. And then they ran out of like the completely outrageous things and it leveled off. A student even mentioned in their graduation speech the way that Alice Steele Middle School's student body had worked together to change the dress code. It was clear that being part of a meaningful change at their school felt really empowering to students. To find out what Alice Steele Middle School students are wearing these days, we went straight to the source. These students may be walking down hallways instead of the red carpet, but I still wanted to know, who are you wearing? How did you achieve this look? I like to put on something that'll make me comfortable and also make me feel good. Jewelry is a really big part of like what I wear. I'm wearing leggings right now, but that's kind of just because it's kind of colder out today than it normally is. I have a lot of bracelets on um, most of the time. Right now, I'm just wearing sweatpants and my Rebooks, which are the shoes that I like to wear because they're comfortable. I mostly wear Crocs. Sweatpants. Crocs. Leggings. They sound pretty unburdened. And you know what else? They sound comfy. I feel like, in a sense, that we don't really have a dress code. Like, we're allowed to wear what we want, but, like, to a certain point. But not all teachers and administrators are fully on board. Some students mention that there are still teachers at the school who call them out for what they're wearing. It's one thing to change a policy, but it's another thing to change the hearts and minds of all of the administrators and teachers. Here's Principal Neal talking about next steps. We're still working with staff. I now know that I need to check with students and see if people are dress coding them. Some people might call what Principal Neal did intellectual humility. It involves recognizing the limits of what you know. When Principal Neal learned more from students, parents, and research, she realized that dress codes might be doing more harm than good. Alice Steele Middle School set out to reevaluate their dress code. And even though they're still working with teachers on changing their mindsets, it is a step towards better reflecting the needs and identities of their students. It's important to involve students in a process of creating policies that impact them. While it may not solve every problem, it's an essential step towards finding more equitable and inclusive solutions. 
Thank you to Lawrence Lanahan, Zaya Kinney, Leora Tannenbaum, Mia Evans, Deb Zerwitz, Principal Deidre Neal, and students at Alice Steele Middle School. The MindShift team includes Ki Sung, Kara Newhouse, Marlena Jackson Rotondo, and me, Nima Gobier. Our editor is Chris Hambrick, Seth Samuel is our sound designer, Jen Chien is our head of podcasts, and Holly Kernan is KQED's chief content officer. MindShift's Intellectual Humility Series is supported by the Greater Good Science Center's Expanding Awareness of the Science of Intellectual Humility Project and the Templeton Foundation. MindShift is also supported in part by the generosity of the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation and members of KQED. Thank you for listening. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.